Well, thank you guys. We're going to be looking today at a letter to a group of people who never got over the fact that Jesus is their living hope, who never got past what Jesus had done for them. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians. In the New Testament, this is one of the epistles of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wrote several, what we call epistles or letters, uh, to churches that he loved. And the letters addressed various topics, and some of those were just to affirm and to encourage and to spur on. Uh, but other times, uh, he would write to correct and to uh, uh, change things that needed to be looked at. In the Colossian letter, uh, he writes uh, to remind them that Jesus is enough. And not only is Jesus enough, uh, Jesus is abundantly plenty. He is all that you need. They needed a word of comfort in this town. They needed to be delivered from uh, some false teaching, some false words that they had to do more. Well, they were still trapped within an old way of life that was still necessary in order to please God. The apostle here writes that Jesus has done everything necessary to please God. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? Jesus has done everything. The sacrifice has been made and has been accepted by God on our behalf. We have a little dog at our house named Arthur. And I noticed something about him this week. Uh, he stands, when, whenever you're eating something, especially if it, it tastes good, uh, that a dog would like, and he will stand right with you. And he'll look right up at you. And he'll just sit there just patiently, just with a puppy dog, sad eyes, you know. And you'll be eating beef jerky, which is one of my favorites. Or uh, we get these grilled chicken things at Sam's. Anyway, I'm eating one of those, and there he is. And, you know, after a while, it gets to be more than you can bear. You know, if you have a heart at all, right, you can't just let the dog sit there. And so... I'll cut off a little piece of chicken or a little bite of beef jerky. And as he sat there this whole time in anticipation, just looking up, I'll lower it down to him. You know what that turkey does? He looks at you like you're forcing it on him, you know? And he sniffs it. He'll sniff it to see if he likes it. And then, like, reluctantly, he'll open his mouth and take it from you. Like, you've done him a favor, right? Dogs are so strange, but... Uh, there's a picture here uh, of this church uh, in Colossae and what, what, what the apostle is asking them to do. He comes to them in this section of the letter and he says, listen, if uh, you belong to Christ, if it's true that the Lord Jesus has done many of the things we just now sang about, if it's true, let me go to uh, Colossians and read you a few things that that have happened to them. If it is true uh, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If it's true, as he says here, that you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. If indeed you continue in the faith, if, if, if this is all true, if it is true that God 
who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, saw you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh and made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If it's true that this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, if that is true, Colossian church, Poplar Springs Church, if that is all true, then we ought not to be sniffing at the gospel, deciding whether we're going to apply it to our lives, reluctantly tasting of it to see again if it's something that we want to allow to change us. And so he starts out this text of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12, telling them to put on these things of salvation. Put them on. Don't be reluctant. All of this is true. There's no need to hesitate anymore. So we're going to read this together. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on your screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word in your life. We have some on the back table. As you go out, if you need one, just take one. There's no cost to you. Just a gift from our heart. To yours. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. They never got past this in that church. And we don't need to miss this either. It's an introduction here, but pay attention. We are, if we are in Christ, we are God's chosen ones. He has chosen to save us. He made that choice in eternity to save people who were sinners. We are holy, set apart, and we are beloved. That's agape love. We are loved by God. And if that is true, then we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so we see these instructions are for the body of the church. In the previous section, he has, he's named several groups of people. And he said there are no longer separations based on who you once were, but Jesus is now all and in all. There is a newness and a oneness in God's body of the church. And so how do we act out that oneness? Well, we put in compassionate hearts. We're compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient with one another. We bear with one another. Literally, we put up with one another. And there are times in the church when, yes, guys, we have to put up with each other. It's not always natural harmony, but he says bear with one another and forgive each other just like Christ forgave you. Verse 14, and above all these... Put on love. The clothing metaphor continues. You got all these clothes you put on, humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another, forgiving with one another. And over it all, wrap yourself, clothe yourself, above it all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing just means warning, challenging, 
teach and warn, admonish each other in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we look at this today. This church is being told, uh, you are these things. Jesus has done these things. God has provided a way for you. If indeed or, uh, th- that you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, then behave in this way. And really the primary audience here is within the body, the church. But what makes us different from the outside world? What, what, is the, what are the distinctives here? What qualities mark our new oneness in Christ? Let's look at a few of these together real quick. The first is this. We are to be recognized by our love. I mean, how does the world look at God's people and see the difference and notice that we bear the marks of a new creation, of a oneness in Christ? The first is that we're recognized by our love. Above all these, we're to put on love. Living out our new life in Christ is pictured here as a garment to put on with love as the essential unifying garment. And you get the picture of like a, a, a wardrobe that none of it quite works together until you put on that last thing. You know, I expressed last week my uh, detesting of prom pictures, right? And... Uh, some of you were gracious enough to post prom pictures and ta- tag me in them this week. Um, thank you for that. I don't really detest them, but, you know, enough is enough. And so uh, you get all these prom pictures out there, and, and it, it made me think this week of uh, when I was young, and Erica was my prom date, and uh, I was uh, headed to the florist to get what? A corsage, right, and, and a boutonniere. Men, we have to pay for both, right? So we went to the florist to get the corsage, and uh, I got there as a dumb boy, as a kid, and they said, well, what is your date wearing? I said, I don't know what she's wearing, you know? Well, what are her colors? I said, I don't know the color. What are, what's her jewelry and her shoes? I said, I have no clue. And they said, well, we kind of need to know that to know what flowers to choose. They said, what are you wearing? I said, I don't even know what I'm wearing, you know. <laughs> I got to go to the shop, and whatever they tell me is what I'll wear. And uh, they said, well, you really need to know this stuff because a corsage can tie it all together. I thought, what? You know, <laughs> the flower has this power, you know, to, to be able to do that. My sweet sister-in-law, Stacy, uh, reminds me of this when it comes to furniture. We decorate together, by the way. Uh, we, uh, we've made some choices for the church here, and, and uh, she says, well, certain times, you, gotta, you put a certain piece of furniture in the room, it ties it all together. Or hang a certain painting on the wall, it just brings it all in. We got this pulpit here, and we got dark to match the stage, and we got light to match the seats. It's supposed to just be a magical pulpit that just pulls it all <laughs> together. But there is, this is the actual picture of the New Testament uh, in how we're to behave as a church. There's a whole list here. Uh, we're, we're to be compassionate and kindness, you know, and, and, and meekness 
and you, you have patience, and you, you're going to bear with one another, and if there's a, if there's a trespass we're gonna forg- or a complaint, we're going to forgive one another as Jesus Christ forgave us. But sometimes it's just a bunch of... Pro- How do we juggle all of this? How do we know when, when it's forgiveness time and when it's just putting up with time? I mean, how do we know when it's time for compassion and when it's time for humility? And how do we, well, we cover it all with one garment that pulls it all together. Love makes the whole thing work. If you're wondering, how do I do this? Start this way. Put on love for each other. And the rest of this will be unified and brought together uh, because of that outer garment. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me, if you will. You can turn there. In your Bibles, uh, this will be familiar to you. Uh, and it, it really is one of two passages that points out uh, what's being said here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 1, the Bible tells us this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, I've got all these gifts, and I mean, if I can do all this in the church... And I have all faith and so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, man, I'm generous in the church. I, I do this, I serve, I give. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, there's nothing I wouldn't spare for the sake of the gospel, but I have not love, I gain nothing. A clanging symbol. Just gears, just balls juggled in the air that are bound to collapse if we don't start from a place of love. Let me challenge you with this. If something is missing in your relationships in the church, you ever had that? You ever thought, man, it's just dry? Or, you know, I find myself being critical all the time. I find myself focusing on my needs a lot, and when they're not met, I I mean, I want to complain, and I want to have self-pity, and, and it's just not, I mean, if you find yourself, if something is missing in your relationships within the church, start with love. Start loving other people. Put on the garment of love and watch how humility kind of comes to life. And meekness at the proper time comes in. Look how you're able to tolerate, to put up with things that are different than you. And look how forgiveness is there when from your heart you put over all of that the garment of love. If you want to start uh, changing things for yourself in church, find some way to love others. Not just from your emotions, but from your actions. When's the last time you loved someone in the church? Who have you... Who... Who have you loved lately? Who have you encouraged in the church lately? Taken a meal to lately? Written a note to lately? Who who have you struck out to do something for, to love somebody? It will make a difference to you. Put on the garment of love. We're recognized by our love, but secondly, we're recognized by our peace. And let the peace of God, of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. The word for peace here is, is a, if we spelled it, it would look to us like Irene. Uh, if you got the name Irene, it means peace. Uh, let the peace of Christ 
rule in your heart. This is another distinctive of the ransomed church of God is to be peace. And the, the Bible uses this word peace in four different ways. One meaning is peace. The other one means one, to be made one out of many things, to be unified. It means rest in the New Testament. And it means quietness in the New Testament. Have you ever desired that for your life? I mean, have, I mean isn't that one thing that we need uh, more than anything is a little bit of peace, a little bit of oneness, a little bit of quietness? Maybe not just in the church, maybe in your heart. Maybe you've got things pulling this way and pulling that way and things you should do and things you shouldn't do and uh, things that are good and things that are better and, and, and there's, there's a tension there. Maybe you just need a little quietness. Maybe you just need those many things to be made one. In the church, it's the same way. We need that peace. It is a mark of believers, of the new creation, of the oneness of Christ. Let the peace of God, Christ, rule in your hearts. In the church, not just that it be available, but that it would be prominent in the church, that it would rule in the hearts of people in the church. The word for rule here in the original language means literally and almost exclusively it means umpire. Uh, like the man who stands behind home plate, it is the umpire of our relationships in the church. It is the decision making. It is the, the prevailing criteria for our actions in the church. You think of an umpire uh, back there. He decides who's safe and, and who's out. And you might look at him and say, well, well, to whom does he give the benefit of the doubt? Or yeah, where does he err on the side of? Does he err on the side of the batter? Or does he err on the side of the, uh, of the other team, of the runner, the, 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 <laughs> the catcher? Uh, where, does he, where does he err? Where, where do his uh, preferences lie? Our preferences in our relationships in the church, ought, we ought to err on the side of peace. It ought to make a difference to us that we uh, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Where is it supposed to rule? It's not the umpire over back in the outfield. It's not the umpire over there and in between the baselines. It's supposed to rule in our hearts. It, this peace is supposed to rule from the scent, from home plate. This is the main source, the control center. Peace is supposed to permeate the whole church. We were on Wednesday night just the other day and um, we needed to move some tables, a bunch of tables, after our Bible study. And I said, hey, if y'all can stay and help, we need to move a bunch of tables and chairs. Uh, and um, I looked over there in just a minute, and there were probably a dozen, two dozen of you guys uh, working together, moving chairs. And I looked, and several of you were brand new to the church. I mean, brand spanking new to Poplar Springs guests and brand new members were over there and a lot of you were just people just saints who've been here for a long long time you were working together everybody was working and laboring and there was peace uh, b between uh, between people of different backgrounds who came from different places and different churches and, and and all of us were working together and I stood there for a minute and just was praising God for that. And I, I recognized that it wasn't just old and new people. It was young and old people were working together. The senior adults didn't say, hey, my, my, I paid my dues. I'm out of here. And the new people didn't say, hey, listen, I'm young and let's let these seasoned people do it. There were grandparents and newlyweds 
doing this. There were people with scruffy beards, and there were people who were clean-shaven who would never dream of wearing a beard. And y'all were all working together. There were people who were tattooed over there, and there were preacher's kids. You've been lifelong preacher's kids. And there were people over there who have been delivered out of deep uh, addiction and sorrow. I mean, all working, what, together. It, was, it amazed me. It, it uh, was a source of worship for me to see that peace happening within the church. That's something unique that we don't, um, that we don't see everywhere else. We're taking a mission trip with 18 people in June or July out to New Mexico. If you look at the list, you can imagine a, a greater group of misfits than who's going on this trip. If you're one of them, I'm sorry, because uh, I'm one of them too, you know. We're all misfits. We're all going on this trip together. You won't believe what God does on mission, on mission journeys uh, from our church. There is peace that happens because of Christ. When's the last time you decided something based on peace? When's the last time in your life, in your family, in the world, in the church, that there you are, you're the umpire, you've got your mask down, you're at home plate, the, the control center of your life, and all of a sudden, someone rubs you the wrong way, or there's a decision in your workplace, or there's a family conflict, and you're like, how am I going to call this? And you remember, peace. How am I going to ap- approach the the Sunday school teacher about this that I don't like, peace. How am I going to go home and talk to my family about something that I don't feel is being met in my heart at at my church, peace. When's the last time you let peace be the ruling factor? When's the last time you thought of peace as that decision-making authority behind home plate in your heart? If we're going to be the New Testament church, if we're going to be a church of newness and oneness, we're going to let peace rule in our hearts. Not just any peace, but the peace of Christ. Thirdly, we're recognized by our message. I love this, uh, that we're supposed to not only let the peace of Christ uh, rule in our hearts, but let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The word of Christ here. Uh, is not uh, the Bible. It doesn't mean that in this text. It doesn't even mean the word that, that Christ spoke or the teaching of Christ, you know, to turn the other cheek and the, the, that type of word of Christ, although that is important. What it means here is the message that proclaims Christ and what he has done for us. It's the song we sang earlier, that God spared not his own son, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. You remember that? This is the message of the gospel, the word of Christ. You might think of, you go to the car dealership and and your your car is being serviced and they come back out and you say, what's the word on my Subaru? Do y'all have Subaru? Anybody have a Subaru in here? Okay, a few of y'all. All right. Uh, Take note, uh, they're the Subaru people. Uh, uh, you go and say, what's the word on my Subaru, right? Or you might hear from your brother or sister back home. You say, hey, what's the word on the family? What's the message? What's the goings on? Uh, what's happening? The, the, the word of Christ is what's, what has Christ done? What's happening with Christ? Uh, the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. The message is the gospel message. The message is this, that we were once sinners, 
that we were born by nature sinners and that in our life we have revealed that to be true by our sinful actions and that we are justly condemned by a, a righteous God. But in the fullness of time, that same God sent his son, born of a woman, so that we who were hostile in mind, that we were aliens and strangers and far off and enemies, might draw near by what? By the blood of his cross. That we who were far from him now can call out Abba, Father, and call him our Father, and know that we are sons and daughters because God sent Jesus. That's the gospel. And that message is to dwell in us richly. It's to have a home here, to dwell here. And it's to do so in a way that is visible all over the place. We went out on a little Walmart date the other night, uh, and the kids are old enough now, they can stay home by themselves and um, they did, and we went out and went to Walmart and you know, got something quick to eat and came back home and walked in the living room. There were blankets everywhere. They had made a pizza in the oven, a frozen pizza. Little paper plates with crumbs were laying all over the place. You know, they had drinks in there, and they had been watching TV, and the remote was laying on the floor. And you just look around, all around, and... Uh, there was uh, evidence all over the place that they had, what, dwelt richly uh, in the living room, right? <laughs> I mean, it was just, you, there, you could see it. You didn't have to worry about that at all. Uh, there was a rich dwelling place. Where had the kid? what did the kids do while we were gone? I can see it right there. Where did they go? They were in this room, right? Uh, what did, well, I mean, were they, were they active? They were very active, right? It was uh, they dwelt richly in that place. So what does it mean for us to let the word of Christ, the gospel message, to dwell richly here? First, it finds a home in this place. It's not, it doesn't visit, it, it dwells permanently here. And what does it mean for it to do so richly? It means we see it all over the place. We've got the gospel right, or the cross right up here behind the screen. In our life groups, we ought to be telling about Jesus. When we preach, we ought to be speaking about Jesus. It, it manifests itself all over the place that someone would not have to come in here and say, is this the Elks Club? I mean, is this the VFW? Or is this, is this about Jesus? They would come in here and, and it would be obviously, the gospel just dwells richly here. It's thrown everywhere in what we do. And particularly Particularly in this text, the authority here uh, is that it ought to dwell richly in two places. It ought to show up in our words, in our teaching, and our admonition. That the pastor and the, the leaders here and the, those who are friends with you here, we ought to be teaching and admonishing. Teaching that Jesus saves and warning about not being saved teaching forgiveness of sin, and warning about continuing in sin. It ought to be done in all wisdom, the Bible says, and in our singing, in our worship. Here's, here's the focus here. It moves on from teaching and admonition to singing, that we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, comma, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your hearts. 
So I'm thankful today that we have a worship pastor who every song that is selected for this place is selected with faithfulness in view. Does this tell the truth about the gospel? There are some modern worship songs that don't deserve the ink they're written with. And there are some songs in the books, in the hymnals, that never should see the light of these chandeliers because they do not hold up the gospel of Christ in a way that is faithful. That's just true. Some of them, they're written by human beings. We've got a, a stewardship over this place that the word of God, that the word of Christ will dwell here and it will do so richly, that it will show itself. When you think about church, I want to ask you this question. What are you doing, you individually doing, to see that the message about Jesus dwells here richly? Now, certainly, we ought to be doing something. Those who are here and called in, in leadership, and I mentioned Trey, we ought to be doing something. But the word here is for all of us, right? The, the word of Christ is to dwell in us all richly. What have you done to see that it does? A few practical questions. When is the last time adults in your life groups that you told your testimony? Have you ever shared with those close to you here how Jesus saved you and what he saved you from and how it changed you forever and how you struggled but he was faithful? When's the last time you shared your testimony? That's a part of us letting the word of Christ dwell here richly. Deacons, uh, we've got some deacons in the room. When is the last time, guys, we gathered up together and said, hey, we're going to spend the night <clears throat> sharing our testimonies. You know, I want to do that next time. Next time we meet deacons, my one agenda item is going to be for us to share with each other how, when Jesus saved us what it meant to us, how it changed our lives. We need to do that. I don't, I, honestly, I don't know if I've done that with you. And I don't know if we know each other's uh, stories of what Jesus has done for us. Life group leaders, when's the last time in your groups that you opened up a time and said, hey, we ought to, we sit face to face every Sunday in a circle. And there has not been a time that I have heard how the word of Christ dwells here richly because of what he did with you. Let's do that more. Let's tell our stories and our testimonies. When's the last time you reached out to encourage somebody and instead of just patting them on the back, you said, listen, before I go, I know you're struggling <laughs> right now, but uh, let me take you to Romans 11 that reminds us, he who did not spare his own son how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And I know you're struggling right now. And I know the relation, you've got a broken relationship or you've got illness in your life. But listen, the truth is this. If he didn't spare Jesus, then he's not going to withhold his hand from you right now in this moment. We, do we encourage each other with the word of Christ dwelling richly? Do we say to one another, uh, hey, remember, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because of that, Romans 8, there is nothing that is going to separate us from the love of God. Amen. 
and you say, hey, uh, sir or ma'am, and, or put your hand along someone uh, who, who's struggling right now financially or some other way, and you say, listen, I know these are hard times, but the truth is this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if that's true, then guess what? There is nothing to separate you from the love of God. And true enough, the reality of what you're facing is there. We don't take that away from people, but that's true enough. But we say, listen, the reality is, if you're in Christ Jesus, nothing has separated you from the love of God. You now, in your heartache, are in the midst of the love of God because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word of Christ, it dwells among us richly. It ought to dwell here among us in such a way that we walk in the room and say, wow, the word of Christ is flung everywhere. Let's be that church. We need to do that together. We've got some room to go there. But lastly, we're recognized by our lives. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Recognized by our message, the word of Christ, but also here the name of Christ. The name of the Lord Jesus means something. And so the centrality of Jesus in our worship and in our teaching and our encourage all of this ought to work its way out to every aspect of our lives. In word, in deed, not just in here, but it ought to work it out everywhere. This means that everything we should do should showcase the character of Jesus. It ought to be in accordance with his name. I mean, it ought to make his name large. We should do that. And it means we should refuse to do Anything that does not advance his character. And the question is this, can you do it in his name, right? Can you do it in his name? In high school, we had a very strict dress code. Public high school, Mr. Foster was our principal. He came in and instituted this dress code. Shirt, ties, tucked in, shoes, laces, belt, everything. You wouldn't believe it for a public high, East Ridge High School in my hometown. And uh, in my English class one day, Claire Lane was the teacher, Miss Lane, and uh, the, a student came in, a boy named Adam, and he came in the room, and his shirt was untucked, and Miss Lane said, Adam, you need to tuck in your shirt. He said, Mr. Foster said I could have it untucked. Listen, Mr. Foster never would say anything like that, right? I mean, Mr. Foster was a stickler. He would walk the hallways, A students, uh, you know, D students, athletes. It didn't matter. It didn't matter how much money you had, what car you drove. It mattered nothing. If your shirt's untucked, if you're out of dress code, if your tie needed to be put up, Mr. Foster was going to deal with it. And this boy walked in and said, Mr. Foster said that I could have my shirt untucked. Miss Lane said something that kind of stuck in my mind. She said, what, Mr. Foster? Right? In this school, there is no Mr. Foster who would ever say anything like that. It is totally contrary to his character. Ask yourself this. Can you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus? And if you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, say, hey, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord. Could people have cause to look at you and say, what Lord Jesus? The actual Lord Jesus would never endorse this. Can you say, <clears throat> listen, I'm going to come and be hateful 
and demanding, selfish in the name of the Lord. Jesus. You could say it, but it would not be in his, in his character, in his name. Hey, I'm going to come to church every week for 30 years and sit there and not give a bit of my heart away to the worship. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm going to do that. No, you can't do you, There's no way you could do that. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of this fellowship, this, uh, this new creation, and this, this new wholeness that God has unified us together in. But I'm only going to keep to my own type of people over here, the ones who strike me the wrong way. I'm never going to have to put up with anybody. I'm never going to have to forgive anybody. Meekness, long-suffering, that's not for me. I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to come here to this fellowship, but I'm never going to give a lick of myself when it comes to the mission or the money of the, of the work of God here. I'm not going to do it. Can you do that? And raise your hand high and point to the cross and say, I'm doing it. In the name of the Lord. There is no such Lord Jesus. And so that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be recognized by everything we endeavor to enlarge the Lord Jesus. And to not endeavor anything that is contrary to his character. What if you applied this standard to all your choices? to all your choices and all your attitudes in the church or in your life or in your family or in your workplace or at Walmart or the places you go? What if you took this standard and applied and evaluated yourself in that way? What would change? What would have to change? And what kind of results would take place in the church of God? Within the bride of Christ here, what kind of power would flow through this place? And what kind of testimony and story would be offered to a watching world if we were careful to do everything in word and in deed, the whole spectrum of our lives, in the name and only in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this text reminds us that the old self is always battling for recognition but we're to be recognized by the things of God and there are two questions we need to answer as we close the first is this what battles to be recognized in your life in verse 11 right before this passage here's what the apostle writes he says here there is not Greek or Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave free but Christ is all and in all they're the old parts of us, the old barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, the old unsaved and addicted and hateful and, uh, and selfish. All those parts are battling to be recognized. What are you going to be recognized by? After all things are considered, what's going to be your standard? The Word of God gives us a better way here, and let's be the people he set us out to be. Let me pray for us. just a moment I'd love to offer you a chance to respond to what the Lord may have done in your life today and in your heart maybe through worship or maybe through his word or maybe you came in here today knowing already when you walked in the door that there's something you need to do that God's called you to today
In a moment, the floor will be open up front. You're welcome to respond here. If you need to come and pray in privacy, you can do that. If you need me to pray with you, I'll be happy to. If you need to pray or or do business with the Lord right there in your seat, uh, that's perfectly fine too. There's no special formula or magic to this. This is between you and God. But we open uh, this time for that. So maybe you take advantage of that. Maybe today you have no clue what this peace is that's supposed to (laughs) rule. What this love, what this word of Christ is that's supposed to dwell so richly. You just don't know because you've never once and for all placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never believed in him. This gospel of of a sinner's savior has never taken up residence in your heart behind your home plate today could be the day that you say hey listen I'm not going to walk like this anymore when there's a savior with open arms who wants to welcome me to be his son or daughter for eternity to save me and change me forever maybe need to walk the aisle and take my hand and make yourself an official member of Poplar Springs we're not a perfect church You've seen that today, I'm sure. You know that to be true. But the Lord has trusted us with a mission. The Lord does have a way ahead for us, and we're trying to follow him best we can. We need your help. Maybe you come today and say, yes, yes, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to give myself to something bigger than me, and I'm going to go where the Lord leads. Maybe you come to the waters of baptism. If you're a If you're someone who has trusted Jesus Christ, he's your Savior, and you have not or will not take the step to be baptized, to go to those waters, then listen, you're missing out big time. God has presented baptism as a divine blessing to shower us and to inaugurate our walk with him. Wow, what what a chance. Maybe you'd come to those waters today. We'll show you what to do. We won't embarrass you. We'll stand with you and celebrate with you. Lord, thank you for the word of God, trusting it to us. Lord, I pray that today that your word may have made some difference, Father, that it would have pleased you and it would be a a help to your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, I invite you to respond.